0: Hey there, it's Ben. I'm just going to give a quick heads up that we are going to be on Spotify in the near-ish future as soon as the Spotify backend gets to us. Also, wanting to thank our Patreons for their support. If you want to be like them and are able to, you can at patreon.com slash way Otherwise, share the show. Word of mouth is such a huge multiplier for getting our name out there. Thank you, and now on to the show. After setting the bog wing down on the Colossus, smoke rising from over half the engines, I open the cargo ramp and start the inspection for damage. Risa, I have a feeling we're going to be able to get our bearings here.
1: Right. Get my bearings in the middle of the ocean, with nothing around, to get bearings around. Except, is that a giant tower made of spare astromech parts coming out of the ocean? Welcome to a binary tale from the Hydean Way. We are your hosts, Risa D.
0: And Bang Yandel. So, the elevator pitch for this is, every now and then you get players who have their own idea as to which aspect of science they're wanting to apply to your game that is about wacky hijinks in space, or wacky hijinks in the Pacific Northwest with a minotaur. Okay, I've got dragons, why am I bringing in actual population distribution of medieval society into that?
1: You keep saying every now and then.
0: It's one of my favorite songs.
1: It just keeps (laughs) coming to my head every single time you say every now and then.
0: (laughs) Fair. I can think of when I've had this at my table twice. And it wasn't the player trying to rules lawyer me. It was just them trying to get on the same page I was. The first time I let the player walk all over me and it ruined an adventure in a very bad fashion. What happened was... This is back in Star Wars Saga edition, so there wasn't story points per se. But there is also GM Fiat, where I could have just stuck to my guns. So what I did was essentially, if we're going with the FFG version, I flipped my Dark Destiny point, and boom! They drop out of hyperspace, and their Neva computer's wiped. Going by local sensors, they've got no idea what the stars are called. They've got a couple planets within a short hyperspace jump that they can sense... That they can get to, and then hijinks can ensue. That was the idea behind it. I had a planet with a hut. I had this little sector of space figured out. This player, on their first time at my table, I'm trying to be nice, and <laughs> they had just gotten this Imperial Corellian Corvette. I think it might have even been a assassin one because they had that in the Saga edition. I think they've got that in the FFG version, but like you got to go looking. <laughs> It's a combat variation on the Curling Corvette. They had stolen it. They had, like, Imperial crew in the cargo bay that they were trying to take to Rebel High Command or some such. Then Navicomp goes out. They drop out of hyperspace. No idea where they are. What this guy's wanting to do is, instead of taking the plot thread, which is, like, jammed in front of his face, you've got no idea where you are in the galaxy. You've got a couple plants in, sitting in front of you. Let's... Investigate them. Maybe they've got local star maps or something. His idea was let's take all the astromechs that we've got because each of them have, at the time, I think it was like 10 hyperspace jumps programmed in, so they have to have X amount of stars in their core. Instead of setting a DC high enough, like in FFG, what I should be doing is okay, you're spending a Destiny point to do this rule. You are going (laughs) up against. Five difficulty dice to start with, plus upgrade for this and that. And until you're pretty much going up against four or five red dice and the purple. Yeah. Like nowadays, that's what I'd be doing. In Saga Edition, I really figure I should have put it like a DC 40 (laughs) where you're rolling a 20 side die. So it ain't happening because far too many stars.
1: Yeah. All the Estenrix have 10 jumps in them. That's not... No.
0: That's what I should have said, but I went with it. I set it too low of roll. So they made the roll and continued on, and thus was me burning my prepared ideas. I tried to continue on with it, but just didn't really work out, especially considering, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be kind of stranded. Yeah, Like, some of this is a player is trying to reconcile what they think. As I said, brand new player to my table. They didn't know me from anyone. Their last GM could have been the most thou shalt sort of GM ever and I was trying to go a lot more narrative but the start of this concept is so how do you take a player who has suggested some of this and they're coming at it from a direction which is so far out of left field for you that you aren't quite sure what they're trying to do
1: well Reese's golden rule at the table communication honestly <sighs> In this kind of situation, it's like a stop, drop, and roll, right? So I'm going to stop, but I'm going to say, okay, why, first of all? Fair. That's that's my first question is why? I let a lot of things slide at my table. If people (laughs) sound like they're going to come up with something really cool. My table is all about the rule of cool. I end up going very improv heavy because of this. But I also have made it very clear to everyone at my tables that if we're going to work with improv, it goes both ways. And what you're telling me right now is that you were rolling with something and you were pitching an improv idea, and your player said, no but. When it should have been a yes and. So instead of taking the story that you were giving them, he said uh, but actually we have all of these astro droids and uh, we can put them all together instead and completely avoid this. And my first question is, why? what What are you planning on doing that's not the story I just came up with? what What are you doing? This is the beginning of my adventure that I have just created for you. There's not like what what do you get out of avoiding <laughs> the event? Do you not want to go on an adventure? What is the point of this? When I've had things like this happen at my table, normally, what I try to do is I try to be laid back and joke about it first in character, talk to people and be like, no, we just kind of need you to keep just doing this thing that I'm telling you to do. But if they keep trying to push at it, I have just stopped, stopped the game and I say no, <laughs> which is something that GMs are allowed to say. <laughs> We're allowed to say no.
0: At the time, I wasn't a confident enough GM to do it.
1: And I think that's a major issue, especially in the way that d d culture is, I feel, especially with the idea of, It's like this whole thing where player versus DMs and that kind of culture of the DMs have these things and the players are out to foil their plans. And so we're kind of conditioned to feel like we're not allowed to say no. And we're supposed to just throw more harder things at them instead of just being like, hey, dudes, how about we don't?
0: Since then, I've actually had once with the same group have something happen. Actually... It's a much storied on this show situation. One where I actually then ran it like two, three times afterwards with different players to see what did I mess up? Because I was still under the impression that I had messed up something. (laughs) And this is the short scene in Sons of Fortune. It's the cantina scene from the micro adventures or the micro scenes that you can just string into their own thing. The player party gets bumped into by this pickpocket. Something gets dropped onto them. A scuffle ensues. Eventually, a ronto gets driven into the cantina and all wildness happens. Once, which then led to the party kill, because (laughs) it was at that point where I just sort of threw up my hands and same crew as the uh, astromech thing, but much later on. The one guy who was still sort of plugged into what the adventure was, I was sort of him and I were sort of doing the adventure. Everyone else was not really zoned in. And he tried to soothe the Ronto by getting on its back and calming it with survival. Like, it's an enraged Ronto. Why not? It could happen.
1: Yeah, possible.
0: I don't think I may have flipped the destiny point, but I still just essentially handle it as an impossible check with an upgrade that had to despair in the end roll. And he (laughs) failed.
2: Aww.
0: (laughs) And he got squished. Actually, I don't think he got squished at that point, but later on, he got squished. Sometimes you need to squish PCs.
1: Sometimes.
0: Sometimes things just get to the point where players and GMs are not talking on the same level. These are the times where communication is broken down. Yeah, Risa, you're the one who said it. It's like sometimes these things need to have the record scratch applied. And come on,
1: it's like I you you want to try to be as civil as possible, but if someone is refusing to listen to you, there comes a time when you have to do something to get their attention, and sometimes that. Requires being squashed (laughs) or even just being taken out of the game is another thing, but that's fair. Like, sometimes I will just I've done that, I think, twice. So, it usually if it's like affecting other people at the table is when I'll just be like, okay, out of game right now, you need to stop. Fair. I am, I'm pretty direct though, especially if I'm seeing it affecting other people at the table. Mm -hmm. That's just because I'm also very no nonsense. (laughs) I try to be very laid back. I am much more laid back as a GM than I am in any other part of my life. (laughs) That's not true. I'm actually a really laid back teacher with children as well. So I work with preschoolers so I can become pretty laid back with adults. So it's okay. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's the only reason I'm okay at being a GM is because I already work with preschoolers. (laughs) You know, same thing.
2: So true. I so mean, true.
1: you're playing pretend with, with preschoolers. It's the same thing as just being a GM. Just, you know, they're playing princesses and as opposed to a murder mystery. It's fine. Though I could probably do a princess murder mystery and they'd love it.
0: I totally could see a princess murder mystery working.
1: With children and with adults. It's great for the whole family. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep.
1: It just means that you kind of have to have that moment of... The fun is being had, but if there's something going on and it's affecting not just... Even if it's just affecting you as a person, you can speak up for yourself. And it's really, really hard to speak up for yourself. It's harder to speak up for yourself than anyone else, especially at your own table.
0: If things have gotten to that point.
1: The one time I'm thinking of right now is that I've actually had to stop and say out of game, stop, is this was super, super old school quest, right? Okay. Okay. I love this because this is in their, their urban fantasy campaign, right? They found these, basically, this group called the Oracle of these three different knowledge-seeking people. One of them is a witch. One of them was part Sphinx. She's half Sphinx. And another one, he was, Um, I can't remember what I made him, but he was some kind of, almost like a prophet kind of dude. And they all were together. And so they were coming to them. To be able to search for this specific person.
2: <laughs>
1: and it's so old school. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, doing our normal spells, we can't find them. They must be hidden by powerful magic. So we need you to find these items to go out into the woods and find these items to bring them back to us so we can make do a proper spell to break through the barrier so we can find this person. <laughs> Most of the rest of the group is like, okay, what are the items? And they're just going to go find them. But one of the players is actually the player who made the PowerPoint. <laughs> she starts going, well, I have divine magic. Can I help with this? Can I help? Why, why can't I help? So if I make the roll with them, can we just do it? Can we just do a check so we don't have to go find things? I'm like, as the other characters, I was like, well, you see, you have to go find the items because it's just such a, you know, it's just such a powerful magic. We need the items to make a tea so we can do it. And she just
2: starts,
1: (laughs) just keeps going in on this that, well, why can't I just help? Why can't I just do it? Why can't I just do it? And I finally just stop because first of all, like everyone else at the table is starting to get really, really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because they're fine with just doing this fetch quest because it's like they play enough video games and they've done enough D&D that this is just a completely normal quest to do. Yeah. You go and you go to the people. They tell you to get something and bring it back so they can do a spell for you. This is just a completely normal quest to do.
2: Yeah.
1: I was like, this is such a normal, old school quest <laughs> to be doing. I didn't think I'd be meeting any trouble with this. And so I finally just say, I just stop. And I go, no, you need to just go get the things. Just add a game right now. Just go along with it. One, <laughs> this is going to be an arcade magic check. You don't have arcane magic. You have divine magic. Two, as a GM right now, I'm saying you can't do the check. And she goes, oh, okay. What were the <laughs> items again? I was like, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just one of those things of sometimes I just, you just have to stop and then move, just address the situation. Because I could, if I hadn't done that, we would have been there for a while.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because what else was I going to do? Just let her make the roll. And then that's an entire, there are things I wanted them to find in the woods. There were people they were going to meet. There were all these things. And what was I, what was I going to do? Just let her do the role? I mean, I could have had her do the role and have nothing happen. And then have them be like, okay, well, you still got to go find the things. But it's just like, I don't want to have to do that. This is my table. I want you to listen to me.
0: <laughs> You're describing uh, back from the D20 days. I'm just sort of thinking of, well, first off, one of the things you brought up when we were introducing you was the <laughs> concept of, The rolling a natural 19 and still not being able to succeed, that's just, it's unsatisfying. Yes. The other thing that I'm coming up with from the D20 thing is every now and then you get a player who, like, for their own superstitions, have their own dice. Yeah. And, okay, I investigate this and the die is already cast.
1: Mm. And you're like, you can't do that because I didn't set anything yet for it.
0: Using your example of the divine magic versus arcane and whatnot, the thing that's jumping out at me is when you said, as a GM, no, you cannot make this check, it's showing off one of the foundational rules to the narrative system. To make a check, two people have to agree to it. Yeah, One of those is the GM. Everyone else can be like trying to do peer pressure and that sort of stuff. but <laughs> Or you can get like some people are GMs in other situations like, yeah, yeah, just do an easy check or something yeah. like that. It's like, no, until the GM says so. As a GM, you do have that power. You do have that permission. You have that permission from everyone at the table.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's something I really like about the FFG stuff, though, is that they can't. <laughs> I mean, they can roll the positive dice if they want. But then I can be like, oh, okay, so you already rolled those. So here's
2: three red dice.
1: Have fun. And it's like they already got like only like all their other dice were blank. And I'm like, okay, so you want to roll these three red dice now? And they'll be like, uh, and I'm like, well, you already rolled. So you have to roll it now, right?
0: Yeah. It's leaving yourself open for whatever the GM wants you to then roll after. Yeah. Because you can't have it without.
1: Exactly. It's not a simple check. It's never going to be a simple check.
0: Especially if you're doing that. If we're talking power plays at the table, it's (laughs) not simple.
1: Yeah, I try to make it a a place where we don't have anything like that. Because I am the kind of person who does have a lot of issues with control and everything. I try to leave all of that away Mm -hmm. from the table, which is why I try to be a very laid back GM. But if people start trying to roll without me, is where we come to issues. Which is another difficult thing for me at the table of... I have two other GMs at my table. Two other people mm. who have jammed.
0: Yeah, it can be brutal.
1: So I get people saying, well, it would probably just be an easy check, right?
0: Okay, you've got a cat. Do you have like a bottle where you can start
2: spritzing?
1: <laughs> I need to make a cross stitch that says uh, no backseat GMing and put it right up. So I can just take the laser pointer and just be like, hey guys, <laughs> you won't get your stickers today if you keep backseat GMing. That's another issue that I have at the table. Thankfully, my other gaming group, they're all GMs as well, but not for Fantasy <laughs> Flight stuff. It's all for uh, regular D&D. So they have ideas, but they don't know how to implement them, so there's there's not so much of an issue. Yeah. <laughs> like three of them, yeah, three of them are also GMs for D&D, and I'm like, <laughs> and then they invite me to play D&D with them, and I'm like, no, that's okay. <laughs>
0: Sometimes the knowledge base of a backseat GM is not bad. No. Like them being able to help out with a rule aspect of like, okay, I'm not quite sure about this. How should we be implementing this this time or something like that? Like something I'm nervously running into with heroes is Mm. we kind of have a developer on the show. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Salonians, they can knock down off of one advantage, right? Sure, let's go with that. I want to look it up right now. Like, backseat jamming just is not, no.
1: Yeah, I don't mind there being, oh, I, wait, what's the rule again on? And someone giving me the answer. Mostly yeah. because we're all, you know, we all absorb information so much in this group anyway that we all have brains full of nonsense. So we all know the rules. <laughs> Everyone has a different part of the book, absorbed. It's fine. <laughs> yep. So it's like we're doing all that kind of stuff and it's fine. But as soon as someone starts saying, well, shouldn't it be? That's when I start having issues. And when I, I, I spied last <laughs> time, someone's starting to help someone else build a dice roll. And that was when there was a book being slapped on the table.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think that's an issue for a lot of people, though, because a lot of people GM and everything. My My boyfriend, who was our other GM... He was running a game online for some people. I think he was just running one of the beginner games. Mm-hmm. And he had someone in his game who kept doing stuff and I was listening to them playing and he kept saying, I heard this every hmm, 10 minutes. All right, but <sighs> no backseat GMing. Mm. Every 10 minutes, I'm hearing that. So, I think it's a, it's more of a problem.
0: We've been discussing this. How do we deal with this? Because, yeah, it's great to say at the table, yeah, no backseat GMing, but how do we get the players to move past that? Sometimes Uh, it's you just disinvite the person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like that guy online in my boyfriend's game just did not get invited back. It was that bad. (laughs) So.
0: If you're having that much frustration, what's the point? But generally, I'm assuming there are people who are trying to be helpful.
1: Yeah, it's generally that.
0: For my own table, I've actually come up with two things. One, I've got enough dice for everyone. It's my dice on the table. And I will physically separate out the bad dice to the good dice. Yeah. Good dice goes towards the players. The bad dice comes to me because I GM. Once in a blue moon, I will play. Yeah. So, bad dice my dice. (laughs) I will start sliding the dice across the table, and they've Gotta hand them back before they start going into the next execution of a roll. If people are wanting to help each other figure out the positive end of a check, more people doing that is great. As long as someone isn't playing someone else's character. Yeah. But the bad dice come from the GM. When I'm teaching, that's generally how I'm doing it, is essentially drawing it on a table in very big terms. Like, all the dice are organized very disturbingly. (laughs) <laughs> in rows and columns like precisely in front of me as I'm standing there as a GM and they've got their stuff in the chaotic tumble of players in no uncertain terms at the beginning. It's like, all y'all are the players, I'm the GM. I give out the bad dice, you give out the good dice unless I'm rolling as something in combat.
1: I mean, I think that's a pretty good way of doing it. At our table, that's not so bad. I mean, we definitely separate the, out the good dice and the bad dice and I keep them closer to me. But we also have a very small table because we're in a very Mm. small apartment and only two of us live here, so we don't need a very big table. Reasonable. So it's a very small table. So we have like, we just use the lid of our Scrabble set to roll everything in. Basically, I move smoosh all of the bad dice on my side of the table, partially just so I can have access to them, you know. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I think that's a good way of doing it so that it's not so much spoken out loud, but it's formed as a connection in their brain. Of doing that, I think the other thing is, is I have just outright talked to people about it, and that has helped as well. People who've done it more often than others, I have talked to them, spoken to them about it, and said these things. It makes me uncomfortable when you do it. It makes me not have as much fun. I would not in front of everyone else, just like on the side, and be like, I don't have as much fun when you do this kind of thing. It makes me feel like you're not respecting me as the GM. It kind of makes me feel like. You're trying to take control and I'd really like it if you would just kind of let me do my thing. And it took a lot of effort to do that. It would. It took me lots of crying before I had the courage to say anything like that to anyone because I felt like I had to let them do it because this was their fun too. So don't be me.
0: You talk about crying. I've had panic attacks around the same thing.
1: I mean, yeah, It, it literally was, I like burst into tears before I could even, and like, it took me like three or four days to build up the courage to say even one thing about it to someone. And it's not even like it, it just builds up. So even if you feel like, "Eh, maybe next time I'll get over it. You know, if someone is doing it and you don't tell them that what they're doing is making your time less fun, it's making your game feel less like your game, they're going to keep doing it. And every single time they do it, it's going to make it worse for you. Yeah. And you're going to start not wanting them to be there. Whereas if you just tell them, Hey, can you not do this? Then they'll stop doing it because they'll know what they're doing is bugging you.
0: It is one of those things of if you get to it early, it's easy enough to adjust. And if they want to be at the table, they will adjust their method of acting. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling confident in it, coming out and saying, We don't do that at this table. The first time it happens, it can work. I've had it work for me. I was terrified while I was doing it, but it... (laughs) It is something that has worked. So much of like what I've been talking about from my experience in this episode, it's been my growth as a GM. My growth as me having my table as opposed to it being everyone's table, which it's still everyone's table, but if I'm the GM, I'm running it. That means, like I said, all the bad dice go through me. Some of it's actually falling back to the core ideas behind it. Yeah, there is kind of still that adversarial thing, but we're trying to get through this together. If you need to take a player aside and talk to him, it certainly can be a terrifying thing. But it, in the end, is going to work out better.
1: You'll have more fun. And you won't be building up resentment towards a friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> While there's still a friend.
1: Yeah, exactly. You won't just have growing resentment towards someone.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, that kind of stuff on the player side of things because i know we get a lot of players listening to this as well not mm-hmm. just gms if you're a player and you notice yourself maybe doing some of these things what can you do to maybe police yourself a little bit when you're making actions when you're when you're talking to your gm and stuff maybe think to yourself am i arguing with them or am i talking to them <laughs> because i think that's it's one of those things where it's often becomes an argument. And I think that is always a sign of someone who is not seeing it as much of a game and is seeing it more of, more of an adversarial thing. If every single time your DM asks you to roll something, you want to argue with them about it, maybe take a second and wonder why. Mm-hmm. Because I can understand, especially if it starts feeling like, they're giving you harder and harder roles all the time, and maybe you feel like they want you to fail, maybe they're trying to tell you something. <laughs> because if you've listened to the rest of our conversation in this time, maybe they're trying to tell you to not go down a specific way. Maybe they're trying to tell you to not do something. Yeah. You're going to get squished soon. <laughs>
0: well, there's that, though. <sighs> the nut negotiation. The not negotiating or trying to charm someone earlier in that scene. Yeah, amazingly enough, the same player. As I said, three strikes. The scene with the Ronto is also the scene with the a negotiator that they set up to negotiate and try and charm this security guard, and he just pulls out his blaster and shoots him in the face. Yeah, poorly. Thus, firefight ensues. Ronto happens. Duke gets squished. Mm. Two gets squished, and one is in imperial custody, mm. and one just got walked out the door. Because that player wasn't there. Risa, you were talking about difficulty there. And one of the things that I'll do as a GM to keep the game going during a session before I talk to a player and pull them aside, encourage other people at the table to do their thing, is sometimes what will happen is as a skill roll, I will come up with a small laundry list of possible skills that you can roll to do this. You're wanting to get in this door. Well, you could try skullduggery. You could try negotiation because there might be a guard inside or you could be negotiating with the door. I mean...
2: If you have a droid.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I I mean, it is Star Wars. It could be an intelligent door. You could be. Could do athletics to try and break it down. Could try shooting the door. Like, there's ways. Yeah. But each of those has a different difficulty. So on a player party where... There's a thief who has Skullduggery and is trained in Skullduggery, has talents to make Skullduggery easier. And then I get another player who doesn't have all this. And it's, okay, I'm going to try and kick the door in. Mm -hmm. The ideal thing is either trying to create a discussion of what the players are going to do, or that particular player needs to be taken aside and essentially invited to the rest of the party. Yeah. And I've had that sort of player, but... What I'll do as a GM, at least for that session, if they're trying something like that, especially if it's, well, this person can Skullduggery their way in and this person's trying to Athletics their way through it, the Athletics check is going to be a harder one than the Skullduggery check. Yeah. So if someone's trying to Rockstar their way into it, I will subtly punish them by giving them a higher difficulty.
1: Definitely. I'll do stuff like that if someone has been hogging skill checks, if that makes sense. If I have things planned for a multitude of different ways to do it, and one person has been rolling after rolling after rolling and getting in there before anyone else for everything else, anytime they say they're going to start rolling, I'll make theirs harder. (laughs) And everyone else's will be easier.
0: (laughs) I absolutely do that too.
1: Because it just, it's one of those things of, well, maybe someone else can roll. And sometimes it'll still be, it'll be like a really cool roll. So I'll be like, sure, you can do it. But, and if everyone else is okay with them still rolling, I'm fine with that. But that's not usually the case. If someone is hogging skill checks, I will start raising their difficulty on them. Even if it would normally be a hard skill check, I will be like, (laughs) well, I'm just going to start flipping some points. And maybe now you have some reds in there too. Whoops. This will be funny. (laughs) (laughs) i'll be like well it'll be four and a a red
0: one of the things that i'll do in that sort of case where someone is more literally hogging the limelight i generally do this anyway but i keep a pseudo popcorn initiative and popcorn initiative is just as it arises you've got this person then that person then this person then that person Mm -hmm. it's also called like organic initiative yeah For scenes, I'll generally run that. It's like, okay, like Christine is gone. Okay, Christine has done something. Leslie's done something. Then David, then, okay, I haven't heard from Brandon coming up with these ideas. So, Brandon, what are you doing here? Yeah. You're not just sort of standing off in a corner, twisting a foot bashfully. It's (laughs) what's your character doing in this situation? I'll try and run that sort of thing. I do that for making sure that I'm checking in with people who don't talk much. Yeah. I have players who sometimes they're just there for the session. They're not, they've been working so hard or mentally they just want to be around people. They don't want to actually be participating per se. Yeah, Like anytime they have to, they will, but they're not really jazzed to be there, but they want to be there. That's cool. Where it's check in with someone and they may come up with an idea. They may not. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with just sitting out here at this point but you're still checking in with them yeah. making sure that they're okay that they aren't getting talked over that is their choice
1: mostly I'm talking about like in a session someone will just be rolling a bunch in one session mm. which I see because like when I'm doing things I'll be like and I'm I, in a scene we'll be doing something and then I'll look at someone and I'll be like hey well so what is uh, what are you thinking about in this scene what is uh, what is your character doing how is your character responding to this how are they feeling about this information? I'll do that a lot if someone hasn't been reacting to things, mostly because I'm like, are you asleep? <laughs> are you paying attention to me? I also do a lot of stuff online.
2: Mm.
1: One of my games is just through Discord. So sometimes I'm like, hey, are you still awake? <laughs> just making sure. Otherwise, I'm if someone is rolling a lot and, you know, as a player, I've been in groups where someone is rolling and rolling. And I've been the player that is wanting to roll and someone else rolls before me and succeeds. And I'm like, okay, cool. Guess I'm not necessary. Mm-hmm. I try to nip that in the bud when I see it happening.
0: One of the pieces of advice I've heard and also have tried to enact is sometimes you'd act your break in the session because I generally say you should be having a break. Like yeah. get up, walk around. Like it's one of the best parts of Fiasco where, oh yes, right at the tilt you're supposed to take a break. <laughs> Even says it, right? Like it's got like five rules. That's one of them. So in a session, I'll try and have a break if I can. At that point, someone who is that energized in the scene where I'm trying to keep that sort of mental initiative going, I'll try and get them in on it so that they can try and team up with other people. It's if it's just going to be this one person doing all the roles,
2: eh. yeah. but
0: if they can team up with someone, what I'll say to the players, I really love your enthusiasm. And what would really help me out is if your character will try and team up with other characters at the table to do whatever it is your character is wanting to do. Because everyone else here has a skill set that is at least going to help you. Maybe they'll have a better skill set for the actual thing, and you can help them. Yeah. Trying to keep it a very positive way of doing it so that they aren't shutting down. It sounds cheesy, but it works.
1: But Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good way of coming at it, because it's uh, definitely going to people with their ego. (laughs) Appealing to the ego definitely works.
0: It certainly can.
1: It's better than just being like, hey, stop rolling all the time.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the thing. And
1: GMs, if you hold it in too long, that's what you're going to end up saying. (laughs) Yeah. If you hold it in too long, you're just going to snap and you're going to be like, stop rolling!
0: Yeah, and then just everyone at the table's looking around.
1: Like, okay. Did that just happen? We're just trying to save you from having a complete <laughs> mental breakdown at the table, like so many before you.
0: Yeah, and how, yes. <laughs> Risa, do you have any final piece of advice for our listeners about trying to channel players into a more productive method of... Play? <laughs> play, yeah.
1: I'm going to sound like a broken record again, but communication. Communication, it's key. My golden rule. Don't let things fester. I'm also going to sound like a therapist and don't bottle it up. Uh, Let it out. If you have a hard time with confrontation, it might be easier for you to send them a text message even about it and be like, hey, great session today. I was just, you know, maybe next time let's try and make some cooperative roles with people as well. Something like that, even. Yeah. Something that's like, you did a lot of great rolling today. I was wondering if maybe we could try some assisted rolls and stuff next time. Something like that. Even something like that helps. But also, don't be afraid to say no. It's, it's something that's really, really hard. But once you find it, it's a lot easier. You're allowed as the GM, no matter what all the memes online tell you. You're allowed to look at your players and say, mm, I'm not feeling that idea. Can we stick to what I brought up? Because it's all at GM discretion at the end of the day. Yeah. Especially in a narrative system like this. It is all up to your say. So if they're not having fun, maybe don't do it your way. Like If you're literally torturing your players, maybe maybe go with what they want to do. But if they're literally out to try and ruin your plan, you're allowed to just say no
0: exactly i absolutely agree with that like my second rule because reese's first rule is my first rule communicate if things are starting to make it so that it's not fun with for you communicate you've got to if you want to stay with this group if you want this group to stay whole you've got to communicate you've got to work through that if it doesn't happen it will just fester and eventually things will erupt Sometimes as a GM, you've got to figure out that this person and that person are not seeing eye to eye, and you've got to find out what's up. My actual final piece of advice is a primary rule of the narrative system is everyone is at the table to tell the same story. The GM is there to tell a story. The players are there to tell a story. They're there to tell the same story. The GM may have it in their mind that, yes, I will be surprised if... One or more mm. of the players make it out of this alive. If they die, they die. If they don't, yay! But it doesn't have to be adversarial. If you're wanting an adversarial game from FFG, try Imperial Assault. It's got a lot like <laughs> RPGs, and it's purely adversarial. Yeah. FFG narrative is we are creating a common narrative. Exactly. And we've got to approach it that way.
1: That's what I think it's for. Yes, I think you should blow it up, even if it isn't. I mean, we should just to be safe, right?
0: Oh, with a ping made of astromix, I don't know. They have a very annoying habit of surviving explosions. We really should find the etiquette droid I saw, and to get them to talk to the rest of the droids. Find us next time on a protocol tale from the Hydian Way. You can find your updates on Twitter at the Hydian Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice,
1: and you can find me at Cookie Kit. We're all at theheideanway.com where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Heidean Way.
0: You can find additional episodes at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating and reviewing us.
1: Drop us a holocom at tales at We're
0: also on Facebook as Tales from the Heidean Way.
1: If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com
2: slash theheideanway. Or give us a coffee at ko fi.com slash theheideanway.